Discipleship is key to us following Jesus well. Jesus showed us a whole new way to live when he was here on earth, and then as he left, he told his followers to go and make disciples, teach them the things that I've taught you, help them live the way that I've taught you to live. And that's what our life is with Jesus. As we're learning and as we're growing with him, then we take others alongside of us and help them to do the same, to live more like Jesus. And this is discipleship. So how do we do this at NCC? Well, the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about how in our community of New Community Church, we are going to be discipling others. How do we do it? Why do we do it? What does the Bible say about discipleship? You're listening to the New Community Church Podcast, and I'm Pastor Caleb. This is the series Multiply, talking about how and why we do discipleship at NCC. Good morning, everybody. I am Sarah Escamilla. I'm the spiritual formation pastor here at New Community Church. And though I'm not able to be with you in person this morning, I'm excited to get to share um, what God's been speaking to me from his word today about being a disciple of Jesus. And if you are our guest today, I just wanna let you know, we, we plan today with you in mind. We want you to feel welcome and that you have the freedom to engage with the Word of God and connect with other people. And we're really passionate about helping people to keep moving forward in their faith. And so we'd like to connect with you. If you could text the number on your screen and let us know that you're here. We're not gonna hound you. We just want a way to get in touch and see how we can serve you. We know that during this time, especially, people feel so disconnected. And so if there's a way that we can serve you and help you to keep connecting with people and connecting with God's Word, we wanna be able to do that. And everyone, we have a, a new resource that we encourage you to check out, which is the NCC app. So you can go to this link and download the app. Not only are there messages in there, all of our web content, but there's a ton of additional resources and teachings from Pastor Aaron and Pastor Caleb and other pastors on our team. And there's also sermon notes weekly that you can engage with. So even right now, I encourage you to get your phone, Download that app really quickly and you can go to more and notes and go ahead and fill in the blanks. But also we believe scripture shapes our lives. And so I firmly believe that God's going to speak to each and every one of you this morning. And so we want to engage with that content, write it down so we can have something to look back on. So I encourage you right now to go ahead and check that out, get to the, the notes page and you can follow along with us this morning. Now, last week, Pastor Aaron kicked off this brand new Multiply series where we're digging into this call that every single Christ follower has that Jesus gave us, which is to make disciples. And these first couple of weeks, we've been focused on what it means to be a disciple of Christ. What does that actually mean when we say we want to be disciples? And so last week, Aaron talked about how following Jesus and being his disciple means living with a radical abandon for his glory. And in a culture that exists kind of exemplifying ourselves or we choose what we want, what feels good to me and what do I want today? And where I can order pretty much any food to my front door, whatever I want, laying aside ourselves and actually abandoning what we would want to follow after Jesus is even more important and more countercultural. And so today we're gonna continue to dig into this topic and we're gonna discover that to follow Jesus 
means to live with a joyful dependence on his grace. To follow Jesus means to live with a joyful dependence on his grace. Now, I don't know about you, there's a lot of things that I'm dependent on. Not all are joyful, but there are a few things that I'm joyfully dependent on. Uh, if you know me very well, you know I am dependent on coffee. It brings me a lot of joy. I drink coffee in the morning. I'm one of those people that can drink coffee in the afternoon, doesn't really mess with my sleep. I love me some coffee. I don't drink soda, I don't drink sweet tea, I drink coffee. So definitely dependent on coffee on my iPhone, unfortunately. There's so much that I get done on my iPhone. I'm, I'm joyfully, halfway joyfully dependent on that. And on chocolate, love, love chocolate. Any other chocoholics out there? Um, and now that I'm driving around Dallas quite a bit, I'm actually dependent on this app called Waze. If you love Waze, give me a little shout. I can't get around anywhere without Waze. But where I grew up in rural Illinois, there was actually more hogs and corn than there are people. I mean, middle of a cornfield, rural Illinois. Learning to drive in Illinois was more about like navigating the dark curvy back roads and driving safely on those and then you know learning to turn into the skid on ice. That was pretty much it. Not like navigating a mix master or six lanes of traffic on one side of the interstate like we do here in Dallas. So when I was a kid I actually had to, well again, 16, I had to go on this road trip. And back in the day, you guys, some of you kiddos might not remember this, but we didn't have GPS. We didn't have anything to tell us where to go. We had a map, a paper map that we had to fold out and look at. And so I had to go on this road trip and somebody, an adult, helped me kind of plan it out and write down my steps and here's this road and that road. And I had a little cheat sheet that I tacked to my dashboard. I got into my little Chevy Lumina and took off on this road trip down to Southern Missouri and didn't get lost, but I did take some wrong turns along the way. And you know, back then, if you took a wrong turn, you had to stop and either get directions or you had to pull out your map and find out, all right, here I am and here's where I go. It was completely dependent upon us, right? To find our own way. And now I can put my little address into Waze. I call her the Wazy lady. She tells me which way to go. It's completely on her. She reads traffic patterns. She knows if there's construction and she sends me around the quickest route so that I can get to where I need to go. And so if something goes wrong, it's completely the Wazy lady's fault. Not my fault at all. I can blame it all on her, right? Well, I think you can see how this easily translates over to our dependence on God and on our faith. We wanna be in control when it comes to our lives. We wanna live like we have a map, right? Where we get to decide whether we take 20 or 30, even though there's probably a pile up on 30. We wanna make that choice ourselves, even though God is right there the whole time to provide us the guidance that we need. And he knows what's ahead. He knows the traffic that's ahead and the obstacles that are ahead. And he can actually show us the way to go. So living with a joyful dependence on God's grace starts with the dependence, right? It starts with us daily depending upon him. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I do, I want a map and God says, no, I'm your guide. I'm gonna give you turn by turn directions, just follow me, trust my hand, I'm a good guide and I'm gonna get you where you need to go. That's the beginning of living this life of dependence on God's grace. When I live with a joyful dependence on his grace, it also means I live in a way that is led by love, not by law. I live led by love, not by law. 
So in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is writing to people who were Hebrews. They were Israelites who were now committing their lives to following the way of Jesus. And so they're navigating, what does it mean to leave behind some of our old traditions? And in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 16, it says, day after day, in the Old Testament, every priest would stand and perform his religious duties again and again, offering the same sacrifices, which could never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, this priest, meaning Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of God and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us and he says, this is the covenant I make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. See the old law of the Old Testament, it was a shadow, that's what they call it, a shadow of what was to come. It wasn't the main event, okay? It was just a shadow as the light shone over time to give us a hint of what was coming. And what was coming was Jesus. So in the Old Testament, there were all these sacrifices offered year after year. And the writer of Hebrews says, they just reminded us of our sin. They didn't actually cleanse us of anything. It just reminded us that there's something more that we're supposed to be living for and we can't get there. And so when Jesus came, he died once for all and he took away that shame of our sin. And now instead of following a list of rules and regulations, he's writing his law on our hearts. So we don't longer, we no longer live by a set of rules. We live led by a person a person who wants to be with us day in and day out, constantly showing us the way as our guide. We live led by love, perfect love, God. We live led by love, not by a list of rules and regulations. First John chapter five, it says, well, this is love for God to keep his commands and his commands, they're not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world. So we don't follow this list of rules and regulations. We follow our savior and we don't do this out of a fear of punishment, which is what came from the law. If there's a law and you break it, there's a punishment, right? We speed, we get a ticket, that's the punishment. So we don't follow God and obey him because of a fear of punishment. We now follow him out of love. It's like this, I love my husband, okay? I am blessed. We've been married 22 years and we are still madly in love. And I can tell you right now, it's taken a lot of work. Love does not develop in a vacuum, but that is an entirely different message. But when I met Aaron, I was drawn to him because he was so different to me, different from anybody I knew and definitely different from anyone I'd ever had a relationship with because I was habitually drawn to abusive relationships, relationships that were controlled by fear. Um, if I said no, if I did something differently, if I did something the wrong way, if I went out with my friends instead of with, that's the kind of relationship that I was in. And so I had to adapt my behavior based upon fear. But when I met Aaron, we built this wonderful friendship that was built on mutual respect. So we could disagree, we could wrestle with things, we could argue, but I didn't adapt my behavior because I was afraid of Aaron or afraid of punishment. 
If I found out something I was doing was hurting him, if I found out something I did made him feel less than, I adjusted because I love him. This is how our relationship is with God. We don't adjust our behavior because of punishment. We adjust because we love him. Just like parents, just like coworkers, if you're a leader, you know that you don't get people to listen to you by just banging things over their head. We follow people that we trust, that demonstrate care and connection. So we don't follow Jesus because we're afraid of him, because of a law. We follow him because he's leading us in love. We don't let him lead because we're afraid he's gonna punish us if we step out of line. We let him lead because he is a worthy leader. He's worthy of our following. So sometimes if, if we find ourselves coming to Jesus, asking for a list of rules to follow, now maybe you're not like this, I'm a rule follower. God, just give me the steps one, two, three. He says, no, you're gonna be disappointed. So I'm not gonna give you a list. I'm asking you to follow me. I want you dependent on me, not on your list. When I live with a joyful dependence on God's grace, it means I live led by love, not by law. Secondly, when I live with a joyful dependence on God's grace, I realize my merit could never measure up to God's mercy. My merit could never measure up to God's mercy. So you guys know I'm a word nerd, English major. Okay, so we're gonna get into this a little bit because I wanna make sure we all are speaking the same language and we understand this terminology. So when we talk about a joyful dependence on God's grace, grace is me getting what I don't deserve, you getting what you don't deserve. I get something I didn't earn, that's grace. Mercy, on the other hand, is not getting what I do deserve. So I do deserve punishment or I do deserve this, but I don't get it because of mercy, because of God's mercy. And then merit, a word we don't often use in our culture, but when you think of merit, you probably think of a merit award or an award. It's some kind of certificate or thing that we earn. You did so great, you earned the merit award, right? It's something that we earn based upon how good we were performing. Merit is all about what we think that we deserve. But here's the problem, all of our merit, all of our good stuff, all the best that we could produce, it doesn't even compare to God's mercy and the level of his mercy. I feel like Paul demonstrates this so well in his character, in his writing. He followed the letter of the law. He was a Pharisee. He knew the word inside and out, rose up through the ranks of Judaism, the religion of his day. And he says flat out, if anybody could brag about their obedience to the law, it would be me. Basically, if there was a way to earn your way into God's grace, Paul's saying, I would have been at the front of the line. But when he's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 15, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, capture that, to save sinners, not good people, of whom I am the worst, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. How powerful is that? Paul's saying, guys, there's no competition here. We can't even compete on the level of God's mercy. We can't even get close. It reminds me of, I don't know if you have people like this, but I have 
some people in my life, none of you are probably listening to this message, none of you are in the church, but some people on Facebook, you know, that I call the one-uppers. There are people that when you post something, you know they're gonna say something below to kind of one-up what you said. Oh, your dog died? Oh, both of my dogs died on the same day. Really? Or something like, oh, you got a promotion? Well, guess who just became CEO? Probably of, you know, household of me. But that's what the one-uppers do, right? They're so driven by their own merit. Even if it's good or bad, it's like they feel like life is a constant competition that they have to rise to the top of. And it feels exhausting, right? It feels exhausting trying to keep up or trying to even compete because you're like, this isn't even a competition at this point. So when we look at the followers of Jesus in the Bible, we see that they have this very clear understanding of how even their best efforts could never measure up to God's mercy. And here's the amazing thing to me is we see them living with this incredible peace. They're never wringing their hands over, oh, I made this mistake or man, God's going to get on to me about this. They, they know their salvation is not resting upon what they do. It's resting upon what Jesus has already done. It's his mercy. My mentor, Alicia Britt-Sholey, she says this, God doesn't ask us to place our abilities on one side of the scale and his calling on the other and declare that they balance. Because they won't balance. God doesn't expect them to balance. So can I take some pressure off of you today? God is not standing up in heaven with his arms crossed waiting for you to fail or to fall. You know why? Because he knows you're going to fail. He knows you're going to fall. He knows we're not perfect. He knew this from the very beginning and it did not stop him from sending Jesus. God is actually standing right next to you, not far away, right next to you. So that when you fall, he's there to guide you and to help you back up. He wants us to live with this daily dependence on his grace and live in that realization that our merit could never measure up to his mercy. Third, when I live with joyful dependence on God's grace, I remember that God chose me because of his goodness, not because of mine. I remember that God chose me because of his goodness, not because of mine. So if we go back to where we started last week in Matthew chapter four, where Jesus is calling his disciples, Verse 18 says he was walking beside the Sea of Galilee and then he sees two brothers and he calls them. Jesus does not wait for people to come to him. Jesus takes the initiative, okay? He comes to us. Many of you, you know that our family has been blessed through foster care and adoption. And when we became foster parents, we decided to become foster parents and thought, oh, you know, maybe six months, 18 months of preparation, of courses, of classes, of home studies, interviews, buying beds, car seats. It, it was crazy. It was, it was such a lengthy process to go through. But here's what we didn't know. We really didn't know that God had started our process way earlier than we were even aware. This picture on the screen is a picture of me and Aaron sitting in a church in Red Oak on November 20th, 2008. And this is the day that our daughter Sophie was born. We were living in Illinois at the time and we had come down to interview for a position at this church. 
And I remember sitting there in that lobby, I remember taking this picture. We felt like we had found the place we belonged, but we had no idea that our daughter was being born just miles away. I hadn't yet seen her gorgeous eyes. I hadn't heard her contagious giggle, but Jesus was lining out these steps of making her an Escamilla. And Gabriel, Sophie and Aiden, they didn't choose us. We had the honor of choosing them and making them Escamillas. And I say it really is an honor because adoption begins not with a child's invitation. It actually begins with the parent's initiative, right? This is the same when we are adopted into God's family. Before you even knew his name, God was putting things into place to make you his son, his daughter, and adopt you into his family. And here's the really awesome thing here. Not just that God chooses us, but that it has nothing to do with our position or our gifts or our goodness or what we can bring to the table. Look at who Jesus picks in the New Testament. He doesn't go after religious leaders. He doesn't go after experts in the law or in the scriptures. He picks Peter who could never get his mouth under control, who ends up denying him. He picks Matthew who is a tax collector who is getting rich, stealing from his own people Okay, he picks Simon, a zealot. And if you look up the zealots, you find out they were inciting rebellion. They were violent. They wanted an independent Jewish nation. They were aggressive, taking up arms even against their own people if they felt like you were standing against them. These are the people that Jesus picked. We can see right from the beginning that God just doesn't choose us based upon what we have just like we wouldn't choose a son or a daughter because of what they could give us, right? God chose us because of his incredible undying love. Romans chapter five, verses six and eight says, while we were utterly helpless, and I've been there, I've been helpless, while we were utterly helpless, while we were still sinners turning our back on God, God showed his love by sending Jesus to die for us. We live with a joyful dependence on God's grace. That's what this looks like to be a follower of Christ, not to have it all together. It's the opposite. It's to realize we don't have it and I need to depend on him daily. This is a really close topic to my heart and to Aaron's heart as I close this, because I can tell you when we were young and ambitious and excited about following Jesus and getting other people to do the same, we kept experiencing these failures. We'd have great leaders in our church who um, just one day fell apart, left the church, got divorced, became alcoholics people on our board who had extramarital affairs, their marriages fell apart and were like, how is this happening? Why is this happening? God, these people seem to be doing everything right. They're here for every service, they serve, they were on our worship team, on our youth team. They're giving, they're up at the altar praying. Why is it that they're having these big failures where it seems like were they following you in the first place? And here's the thing, attending church does not make us 
a disciple of Jesus. Giving a few bucks every single week, it doesn't make us a disciple of Jesus. Serving on a, a team in a classroom or at a nonprofit, it doesn't make us a follower of Jesus. Following Jesus comes down to one primary principle, and that is surrender. Following Jesus comes down to surrender. Man, Jesus, I know you want me to surrender, but do you seriously expect me to move out of the apartment I share with my boyfriend? Man, Jesus, I know you want my attention, but what if I just give you some good behavior instead? I know you want to share my life, but what if I just give you 15 minutes to like read your Bible every day and check my box? What, if, what about that? But Jesus, he doesn't want our behavior. He wants our hearts. He wants us to surrender and to follow him with all that we have and all that we are because that, you guys, is where we find the fulfillment our hearts are truly longing for. So if you would bow your heads with me and close your eyes, if you are with us this morning and you're like, honestly, I have never really surrendered my life to Jesus. I have come to church. I have read the Bible. Maybe you haven't come to church. Maybe you've never read the Bible, but either way, you've never given it all. Like, okay, God, I'm letting it all go. I'm leaving it. What do you want me to do? Today is the day. Do not put it off. Do not live another day with all that weight of navigating your life on you because you have a really incredible guide who can see way in front of you and knows what you need more than you do. And so if that's your truth today and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, will you just pray this prayer, every single one of us together, let's pray this prayer from our hearts to the Lord. Just repeat after me. Jesus, I come to you and I recognize that I have sinned. I know I've lived my life my own way. I know that that hurts your heart. So Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. All of my hopes, all of my plans, everything that I think I know, I give it to you. Have your way in my life. Be my Lord, be my savior, be my best friend. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer this morning and you really meant that, heaven is celebrating with you. And we have people who want to get in touch with you, who want to help you to give you some next steps in really following after what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But for all the rest of us, I want us to pray together this morning. And I'm going to pray out loud, but I encourage you to pray out loud right where you are to ask God, God, what is my next level of surrender? How do I live with a joyful dependence on your grace? How do I live led by love, not by the law? Lord, how do I live knowing all of my merit? It doesn't measure up to your mercy. How do I live remembering that you chose me not because of any goodness in me, but because of all of your goodness? 
So let's pray this together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder, God, that this is not about performance. This is not about religion. Following you is not about a list of rules and regulations. It is about surrendering our wills to you. It's about following your lead and living daily dependent upon you for guidance, coming to you with our decisions and sharing our lives with you, our mornings and our afternoons and our evenings, God, come and invade our lives, Lord. Now more than ever, when we're so aware of our lack of control, remind us that you are in control, that you are a faithful father and we can depend on you. Lord, I pray over our church, over New Community Church, I pray that you will make us a church of disciples and disciple makers. Help us to live out the calling that you've placed over our lives, Lord, to make disciples, to show people how to follow after you. Help us to exemplify the life that you lived and the way that we live, Lord. Help us to live led by you. God, we love you so much. We're devoted to you. You are worthy of our lives and all of our praise. Have your way in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here at NCC, we are all about making people and places new. We want to know how we can help you grow in your faith. So connect with us online at newcommunity.co.